You're now listening to the sound of sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Hours and your humble and obedient host. I'm joined by Pastor Jacob Mensel and the incomparable Benjamin Solzer today. And we also have one of our fathers in the faith, Pastor Tim Bailey of Trinity Church in Bloomington, who is here for part two of our series on sexual effeminacy. And we actually, I realized we didn't in our part one actually get around to defining sexual effeminacy. So Tim, would you define that for us to get us going and talk about how you discovered the nature of it? Effeminacy is when a man acts like a woman, feels like a woman, talks like a woman, Mm -hmm. walks like a woman, speaks like a woman, thinks like a woman. It is e-feminacy. It is not feminine, but e-feminacy, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is a man inappropriately acting like a woman. Now, where did I learn about this? I never heard anything about effeminacy, right? And then I began to read dead men and women, but 99.99% men. (laughs) Well, there is the song of Miriam. I have read that a number of times, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and as I read the dead men, especially people who were real leaders, in other words, strong Christian men, I would come across them calling other people effeminate, E-F-F-E-M-I-N-A-T-E, and I think, wow, now there's a word. I mean, it would blow my mind. And all of a sudden, reading that word, I had a category of thought I'd never had before, Mm -hmm. effeminacy. And I noticed that they would refer to somebody as effeminate, rebuke them for being effeminate, when typically they were overly precious in their logic and reasoning and scholarship, combined with cowardly in standing for truth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those two sides often (laughs) go together. And so I just began to think in terms of what is effeminacy? What is it? Well, then I came across a quote of John Calvin in his uh, commentary on Acts, where he says that God is jealous for his truth. And he says, the prophets, and this is a paraphrase, okay? He says, the prophets were stormy men and stormy men are often disliked by Christians, okay? And he says they, that soft, effeminate men find them scandalous, but such men don't take into account how precious to the Holy Spirit is his truth. Well, when I read that quote, I mean, I can't tell you how much of my world suddenly meshed. All of a sudden, I understood evangelicalism. Evangelicalism had absolutely no place anywhere for any defense of God's truth that approximated any of our heroes from the past, okay? Soft, effeminate men had taken over evangelicalism, and the most you could hope from them was that they might defend the true meaning of the word kephale, Mm -hmm. but they had no theology of sexuality because their predominant identity was scholarship, and scholars exist to protect the nuance. 
and to make sure that everybody knows that one could, in fact, be wrong, if you get my meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I think people have to understand that we had a woman who had come out of lesbianism, repented of it, and she had had a couple of children the way lesbians have children with her partner. It was as close to a marriage as you can have between two people of the same sex. And she joined, now actually, she never joined our church. No, that was the problem. But she was at our church for a number of years. And any time the word effeminacy or effeminate was used, she, it really irritated her. She'd try to correct people. And what she would say, and she said this to me a couple of times, she said, Tim, when you say the word effeminate, that is to diss women. <laughs> that, that's speaking pejoratively about femininity. And I would try to explain to her, no, it's not. It's not in any way speaking down or patronizing or saying they're their girl. or It's not in any way harming the beautiful gifts of femininity and of women. What it's saying is that women are made by God to be women and men are made by God to be men. And man, the minute you say that to Christians today, oh, they just have a hissy. How could, well, what do you think? What do you think a man is? What do you think a woman is? You know what I'm saying? Well, tell me what a real man is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what does he do? He <laughs> pumps his chest and he burps and farts. Oh, that's really manly. <laughs> the minute you start asking people to think about how God made us male, and what that means. Everybody today is so gay, so effeminate, that they just start mocking you. If you point out that some people's appearance is vain, they have a hissy fit. Well, do you judge everything by its looks? You judge a book by its cover? They have no technique other than mockery. Mm -hmm. But if they were to read about Vanity Fair... In Pilgrim's Progress, well, that's old enough that nobody gets their dander up and everybody says, well, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so today we have to go back to the beginning and realize that for women to cut their hair in a manly way is butch, which is the approximate parallel among women of men wearing their hair in an unlit manly way being effeminate. And now I You know, everybody's sitting there going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, you know, when when I got married, I had Goldilocks, okay, down to my shoulders. I looked like, I looked like Roger Daltrey of the Who. And I had a pierced ear and my wife had a pierced nose. So just chill out. We've seen the pictures. Yeah. Can confirm. (laughs) Yeah. And so what I'm trying to say is, can we please be intelligent Christians and think with a Christian mind and repent? Is there something about Christianity that says that a pastor can't call listeners on a podcast to repent and to think about what their hair is saying about their obedience or disobedience, rebellion against God, making them a male or female? And so people can say, well, how short is short? And I say, I'm not going to play that fool's errand. I'm just going to ask you as a man, is the length of your hair and the way you get it cut effeminate? How much importance do you put on the way you get your hair cut and the way you wear it, or how long it is? And a woman, I'm going to say, women, you realize that God says 
in Corinthians that men are the glory of God and woman is the glory of man. Do you care that your husband has told you repeatedly that he loves long hair? Or is it just a matter of how long it takes you to take care of it and and when you get out of the pool, burr, 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 and, and listen, if that's who you are, I don't think any man loves you anymore. And you say, what on earth? If I told my husband what you said, he'd, he'd punch you in the nose, and then we'd see who's a man and who isn't. <laughs> you know? And I say, have at it. I'm up here in Michigan, and I don't think you can find me. <laughs> Off the grid. <laughs> but I mean... Just having these conversations, it's like pulling teeth, wisdom teeth, trying to get Christians to have the ability and willingness to think, okay, am I effeminate as a man? Am I butch as a woman? Are there places I need to repent and think more about how to display biblical femininity, biblical masculinity? Well, I'm sure the place where all of our devil's advocates are questioning you right now is you you made the case that dead people talk about it but where's your scripture tim what's what's <laughs> the scriptural basis for all this well i've said several times that when jesus was questioned about marriage and sexuality he said from the beginning he made them male and female all right mm-hmm. that is a dualism. It's not a triad. That is a diversity of two. It is a diversity. And so we should all be into protecting that diversity. Go ahead, Jake. And it covers all it covers all forms of perversity. So when people say Jesus didn't address homosexuality head on, well when he said God made them male and female, that's exactly where he did. Jesus also didn't address bestiality head on. What an amazing argument for pro-bestiality, right? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the place where Jesus addresses it is he made them male and female. It's all right there. It's all included. And when you go to the Old Testament, you'll find in the prophets them dissing whole nations and races because their warriors are womanly. Yeah. And so if you want to think about a place where most of us still are sympathetic to arguments about effeminacy being bad, it has something to do with running from battle. It has something to do with, I don't, I don't remember the name of the tribe of the Greeks, but the women would stand behind the men with spears, and any man that tried to retreat, the women would kill. <laughs> okay? And that is my idea of helpful women in combat. <laughs> you know, in other words, they would kill their effeminates. And yep. listen, it is hard to face the enemy and stand. And we know that because of all the celebrities in the Christian world today who are just scared out of their minds about standing on homosexuality. And that's what the grace of shame is all about. But they call cowardly warriors, and they say, and Aristotle does this too, Aristotle refers to people groups who are known to be womanly and to be scaredy cats, and he uses the word malakoi about them, which is in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It's one of the sins in the sin list that says we will not enter heaven. That's the word effeminacy. 
okay, the effeminates. And Aristotle uses that word to describe cities where the men are cowards. And so they're, they're utterly despised because they're effeminate, they're malachoi, okay? And so there's this dissing of nations by the prophets. There's the fact that from the beginning, he created the male and female. In the Mosaic law, there's the prohibiting of women wearing men's clothing, and the men's clothing referred to there is almost certainly military uniform-like. In other words, it's clothing that is, is signaling this man being a fighter, okay? Women are, are forbidden in the Mosaic law to wear those things. Women have different commands given them than men do through Scripture, and there's such foundational commands that they have to get to the essence of personhood. The Apostle Paul says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, for Adam was created first, then Eve. Well, when you say Adam was created first, then Eve, you know you're going back to the state of perfection. We're not talking about after the fall. Mm -hmm. And so from the beginning, God making Adam first and then Eve is an indication that woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, when I get there, everybody's saying, oh, you're just a fuddy-duddy. And I say, okay, okay, I'm just a fuddy-duddy. Knock your socks off. Go ahead, raise your children with you being strong and your husband being weak. And I know what's coming mm -hmm. because I'll cancel your children when they go off to college. And so can I please, as a pastor, can we four please, as pastors and elders, have the privilege of teaching and applying the Word of God. So, Nate, you say that you know what all our listeners are thinking is, where does it say that in the Bible? And all of a sudden, all this stuff comes out of Jake and me. Mm -hmm. And Jake and I have not gotten started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can go and go and go like this. And so how is it that the listener has such a hard heart that they live in the middle of a sexual ma maelstrom of the Western world. And when we say the most basic things about needing to obey our sexuality, our sexual identity God gave us, they say, words say that in the Bible. I mean, do you know that the New Testament even talks about, is it not a shame? Doesn't everybody know it's a shame for a man to have long hair? And it's like, yeah, but... How do we know how long it's? And I say, I don't give a rip. If you want to say long is three feet like Absalom, and he ended up hanging from the tree, mm -hmm. I'm good with that, mm -hmm. just as long as you have some definition of long. And, <laughs> some principle. <laughs> and I don't want you to apply that long to everybody else, but you got to have some principle because the scripture says it's shame. And yeah, I'm open to it being cultural. Obviously, we have different standards of hair length today than they did back in the ancient world, but do you have any principle of long? How about vanity? Do you have any principle of vanity? And so that's my answer, Nate. Look, Chesterton says the problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried and found wanting, but that it's been found difficult and left untried. Mm -hmm. Well, look, that's where we are on sexuality. The problem is not that biblical sexuality has been tried and found wanting. The problem is that nobody has even tried biblical sexuality because it's so difficult. You have to go completely against the grain. You have to deny 
every truth that the world claims it just discovered in the last 50 years. Well, I want to get back to application and what kind of principles we do need to draw from this, but let me push back a little bit on sure. on some of the common scriptures there. So in my Bible, it says that First Corinthians 6, when it uses that word malakoi, is talking about the receiving homosexual partner, not anything more broad than that. It sounds like it's a very specific cultural thing that was happening. It has to do with the actual... The woman in the homosexual relationship. Oh, I get so tired. Because what do I have to do? Well, what I have to do, and maybe I should give some credentials. I am married to the next to youngest of 10 children of Ken Taylor, who did the Living Bible. And my brother-in-law is Mark Taylor. And Ken and Mark did the New Living Translation. And I was involved in getting Lane Dennis to consider doing the ESV. I was very involved at the very beginning in getting the copyright. For, from the RSV for Lane for Crossway to do the ESV. And I'm good friends with Vern Poitras among translators and linguists. He's almost the top scholar that's a Christian. I worked for four years with Wayne Grudem. Cheek by jowl, we worked together. And I'm saying these things not to name drop. I'm saying these things because before anybody was aware of it, I was absolutely aware of and fighting against the neutering of Scripture. And people were saying, well, he just asked you about the word effeminate. And I say, but you have to understand that the modern changing of that word, or I would say the deletion of the word malakoi there in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, is a part of a whole fabric of changes that we as Christians have forced our publishers and Bible translators to make to keep our Bibles from assaulting our sensibilities, mm -hmm. okay? Hundreds and hundreds, thousands of words in all of our modern Bibles, including the ESV, have been changed from how they used to be translated to avoid offending people. Now, let me give an illustration, and then I'll get back to that word malachoy in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. The last couple of days, I've started looking carefully at the revision of the Bible I use, which is the New American Standard Bible. And they've issued what they call the NASB 20. I've been using the NASB 95. So that's 25 years ago. And this man, very helpfully, has put together a list of the words that have been changed and the frequency. And so this morning, I was looking at father and its cognates, so fatherly, fatherhood, fathers, plural, all the words derivative of the word father. And there are 200 and what, 10 places where the word father and its cognates has, has been removed. Well, when I was writing our book, Daddy Tried on Fatherhood, I decided to do a computer search for father and its cognates of all the modern versions. And what I found was that over the course of the last 20 or so years, the occurrences of simply the word father and its cognates has declined by somewhere between one quarter and one third. And you say, well, 
why did they do that? And I say, you didn't know, did you? And you say, no, but they had to have good, a, a good reason. And I said, but you didn't know they did that, did you? And you say, no, but I mean, those are godly men that translated that Bible. And I say, uh, yeah, godly men who are scholars. And you say, well, what are you saying about scholars? And I say, that they're effeminate. <laughs> and some of my best friends are scholars. <laughs> you know, I have a number of them in my congregation. We get along well, and they have very high Google Scholar ranks, okay? Long CVs, published with Cambridge, went to MIT at Yale. Okay, now listen. When you turn over the training of pastors to academic institutions, guess what? Those academic institutions teach pastors to not ever allow there to be conflict in their church, because then churches that have graduates from their seminaries who take churches and take a strong stand against sin and defend God's doctrine of Scripture make a mess. And that church won't come back to that seminary to find a pastor. It's just that simple. And Bibles that are being revised or new translations that cause people's hackles to be raised by the use of words like father, like effeminate, like, like the expression in Timothy where it talks about old wives' tales, where it says slave where it says that the Jews cried out for Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. All those places, Christians are like, oh no, that's sexist. Oh no, that's anti-Semitic. Oh no, that's gauche. Oh, that makes me just feel bad. I mean, how demeaning to say old wives' tales. Somehow are tales that aren't dependable more for women than for men. I say, well, if you don't like that, you won't like the word effeminates. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, because that says that people who cultivate a lack of manliness who are men will not inherit the kingdom of God. I said to this one guy that had his graduate degree in biblical exegesis from Wheaton College grad school, and he was adamant that Malachi there does not mean effeminate. And of course, the reason he was adamant was that he absolutely adores all these famous scholars that did the English Standard Version and all these other Bibles, and they didn't translate it effeminate, and so it can't be right because they have degrees from Cambridge University. I'm so tired of this. And so I said, but look, and I gave him all the literature. I showed him how the word was used in the ancient literature. I showed him how the word was used in the early church. I showed him how Jesus used the word to refer to the opposite of John the Baptist. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I think that alone is a good definition of an effeminate, that he's the opposite of John the Baptist. Yep. And when I got done, all that should have worked with him. He knew I, I, I took my Greek in the classics department at University of Wisconsin-Madison from a woman that had her PhD from Bryn Mawr. And he was adamant I was wrong. But you know what he ended up saying? What he ended up saying to me was, well, that can't be what it means because look at so-and-so, and he named a mutual acquaintance of us, and he said, that would mean he's not a Christian because he's effeminate. Well, at least we agreed that he was effeminate. <laughs> All we were disagreeing with was whether or not it meant he wasn't a Christian. 
Well, that was the end of the conversation, but let me say this. What the Bible says is not that effeminate people aren't Christians. What it says is that the effeminates will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it also says the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And does that mean that we make an effort in the ESV to take the word greed out? Okay. Well, no. Well, why? Well, because effeminates hits us at a point of such intense conflict in our culture today, whereas everybody knows that everybody in the United States who's a Christian is greedy. Mm-hmm. And so we've become inured to anybody preaching on greed, anybody feeling guilty about greed. Yeah, we're all greedy now, but we don't want to quite admit we're all effeminate now, but that's the truth. And the difference is that at least greed remains there in the Bible for preachers to preach and for people to repent over, whereas the ESV men and whole hosts of Bibles have removed the word effeminate that was in the old Bibles. And what I try to tell people is, if you want to know what sins we have had our consciences seared over, just look for the words that have disappeared. Hmm. And effeminate is the quintessential example of that. And because effeminates won't inherit the kingdom of God doesn't mean that somebody who's effeminate isn't a Christian. I mean, that's such a fatalistic approach to sanctification in the Christian life. No, what it means is he has to repent. And keep repenting. Yeah, and I'm the perfect effeminate, and I repent. Is there some reason why we can't have the Christian life restore repentance to us? Is there some reason that evangelicals today think that anybody that needs to repent can't be a Christian? Maybe the Christian life is a life of repentance. Yep. Has I think somebody said I, that? I think somebody Some, said that somewhere. Like that, I think yeah. that, well, I think you should explain to them who said it. Martin Luther in the 95 theses. In the right? one the, no, the number 1. The thesis, number 1 top yeah. very first one is when our Lord Jesus said repent. He meant for the whole life of the Christian to be a life of repentance. 95 theses number 1. Number 1 principle of the reformation for Martin Luther. Right there it starts right there. So what I'm hoping at this point, Nate, is that at least we've gotten your listeners to the point where they're willing to hear us out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and to realize they may have missed that one because their Bibles removed that one. So when you ask specifically, my Bible just says homosexuals having sex with each other. The next word in the list is our senecoite. And that's what that word says. It is two men copulating with each other. So no, Malakoi doesn't mean the receptor, although that man almost certainly is Malakoi, mm-hmm. but Malakoi has a full-orbed meaning. And when you reduce those two words to just men copulating or homosexual acts, you have removed all of the things in the life of those men that has led up to that act of repudiating the beauty of femininity and stealing it and violating it by trying to be beautiful and nuanced and sweet and soft. I mean, do you know, for instance, that in Sparta and in Greece, 
Do you know when the men stopped having sex with all their boys? They all had boys on the side. They were married and had boys on the side. Do you know when they stopped having sex with the boys? They stopped as soon as those boys began to grow hair Hmm. on their faces, their chests, the rest of their body. And so you think, oh, there we are at hair again. Well, I'm just talking about the Greeks and the Spartans, okay? Nobody can say I'm prejudiced. I'm just giving you the history. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll be back with some more practical application in part three, but let's call it a day for now. Thank you for listening. Everyone, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. You can get access to Sanity Bites, a little behind the magical wall of bonus content episodes that we do talking about different cultural issues and basically doing more of the show that you love but in a slightly more casual forum you can also help support things like the chip and lance children's show and our dramatic podcast the vill there at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity actually you should go to the vill feed right now because we're in the process of releasing three new episodes and they are very exciting and our our patrons got us up to five hundred dollars so we were able to do that we're very thankful for that so you can help with all that work at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity and until next time oh shoot he's away from his microphone ah stay sane